went to Mackinac Island. Just one thing I want to mention today, in your folder, we have our sports and arts camp coming up, and uh, this is our opportunity to just love on our uh, community and the children and families that are around us, and also to preach the gospel on the level of children in a way that they can understand and grasp. And so this is like our vacation Bible school in a way, but we love to do sports and arts here together. Um, So if you'd like to help us, there's a sign-up sheet that you can volunteer for, and we're assembling our awesome team. Uh, It's kind of like a hometown missions trip here, Uh, and we go three days, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evening, uh, and we just love on kids. We usually have somewhere around 100 to 150 kids in our camp, and uh, we get to spend some significant time with them. So there's all kinds of areas that you can get involved with. Um, You have our clinics, but we also have other opportunities. At the bottom, you can see things like uh, photography and registration, nursery, concessions, first aid, photography, setting up, cleaning up. So if you're not into sports or arts, there's other ways that we could really use your help. So you can fill that out today. You can turn that in um, to uh, one of the ushers, or you can turn it in at the welcome desk. But also, if you have kids, this is also a registration form. And you can uh, use that form to register early for your kids or grandkids, and you can get all the information you need there. So it's an awesome time. I hope that you can help us out. It's going to be a great, a great opportunity for us to love these kids in our neighborhood. I know uh, my kids have come to the Lord through the sports and arts camp. It's just, a, it's just so great that they like hear the gospel right clearly in their level and like, think, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I want to know that God who loves me so much. So today I want to talk about, um, I'm going to start a series called, Let's Go Change the World. So maybe I should do it this way. Let's go change the world. It's like I I love to, you know, coach and cheer and rally people. And so this is kind of a rally message. Um, and, And today I want to talk about how do you change the world? And uh, you can't do it, but God's called you to be a part of it, and God can do it. Uh, and so it's pretty exciting, the adventure that God has called each and every one of us on. Whether we go to a different country, like I had the opportunity to this you know, last couple of weeks, or whether you just go to work, or you go to school, or you go to the grocery store, or you just live in your house with neighbors around you, you have an awesome adventure God has planned for you to change the world, change the world. Uh, I remember, this is just a side note, I remember someone a long time ago say, yeah, when I was in my 20s, I was going to change the world. And then when I got to my 30s, I decided I'll just try to change my country. And then in my 40s, I'll just try to change my state. In my 50s, I'll just try to change my neighborhood. In my 60s, I'll just try to change my family. In my 70s, I just got to change myself. You know, if I could just change myself, maybe I could change my family, maybe I could change my community, maybe it would have some impact in the world, you know what I mean? So how many of you know change starts right here, right? That's the only change that we can really uh, allow God into, and yet when God changes us, it changes everything around us, changes everything around us, sure does. Today's uh, memory verse is Ephesians chapter 2, 22. So it's a bunch of twos. Ephesians 2, 22. And I want, to, I want you to meditate on this this week. As a spiritual family, we have a spiritual destiny together. You have an individual life, and you have an individual physical family, and you've got goals and dreams and all that, but God has also grafted us together for a spiritual purpose as a group. We have a spiritual destiny together. And Ephesians 2.22 addresses that, and it says this, in him, and him in this verse is Jesus, in Christ. In him, you, plural, it's y'all down in the south, okay, y'all, two, are being built together, so we're being built together for a purpose, and this purpose is awesome, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Wow, this is awesome awesome. Paul tells us you are being built together for the purpose of the dwelling presence of God. 
We're the church. The church is not a building. It is people. And yet God takes people and he grafts them together. He's assembling us together so that he can dwell among us. And we can shine that glory to this world. And this is an amazing thing. And the first reality that each of us needs to experience is, as Heidi was talking about, it's the transforming love of God. And when you have encountered the real transforming love of God, it wrecks you for sin. Because when you get the real thing, nothing else ever matches it. Nothing else can come close to it. When you've experienced religion, then there's, and you think that was God, then you get turned off to the church and you keep looking. But when you've tasted the real love of God, then there is no turning back. You may have moments of insanity. That's what I call sin, right? Moments of insanity. I just lost my mind. What was I thinking? Okay, I, I left the real thing for a fake. Okay, that's sin. Uh, but when you've tasted the real love of God, there is nothing like it. Can I get a witness? Okay, and we all need that. If you're here this morning and you have only experienced religion, you've only experienced what you should do, what you shouldn't do, and there's a frustration in your life, then there is something that you have yet to experience that will totally transform you. It's the love of God. It's the real presence of love of God, and you need that, and don't leave without it this morning. Do not leave without it. You come to God. You don't come to religion. You come to Jesus. You surrender. You open your heart and say, God, I don't understand what he's been talking about because I haven't experienced that yet, but I want it. Don't leave without it, please. Okay, at the end of the service, you come forward. I'll pray with you. Somebody will pray with you. Let's do this together. Let's make sure that you've experienced the love of God. It transforms your life. Okay. Um, and so once we've had this encounter, though, there's something that happens that now because of how God's love works, it also empowers us and it compels us to start loving people. And, uh, and that's the second main thing. But I want to read this verse. It's a kind of cool verse. 1 John four sixteen. It says, and so we know and rely on the love of God. How about you? Do you know and do you rely on the love of God? Okay, now the word know here is not uh, an intellectual thing. It's a, you, you have experienced this thing. It's a intimate knowledge. It's like an experiential knowledge. If I say, oh, I know Donald Trump, but I have never met him, that's not the kind of knowing this is. Yeah, I know that God loves me, but you've never experienced it. That's, you don't know it yet. It's when, it, it's when you've experienced it, okay? Um, and so it says, so we know, we experience and we rely on, in other words, we're living in this love of God. And it goes on and says, God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And so that's the constant daily challenge of my life and your life is to keep living loved, to keep living in that love. And you can live out of, you can walk out of that love and when, when you start walking out of that love, it's not that you're not saved. It's just that it's like you're riding a bike with flat tires. That's what it feels like. It becomes work. Even if you're doing something good for God, it becomes work. It's like riding a bike on flat tires. Um, my wife, uh, she was so relieved about a couple weeks ago. Um, I don't remember what was going on, but my daughter Remington wanted to go for a run, and she didn't want her to run at night. But her, my daughter was determined to run, so she said, okay, I'll ride the bike with you. So she's riding the bike with her. She's riding the bike with her, and she's just like, oh, my word, I'm so out of shape. This is so difficult. She gets home, discovers the tire is flat. <laughs> she was like, oh, good. You know, I'm not as out of shape as I thought I was. And, you know, when we're not walking in the love of God, that's what life feels like. It's work. We're not cruising. We're not overflowing. We're not filled with joy, and we can get burned out or we can get frustrated or discouraged. Am I talking to anybody who have experienced that before other than me, okay? And so the, the, the goal here, First John tells us, we know and we rely on this love. Every day, we have to remind ourselves. And I was just recently reminded by God to be reminded that he loves me. 
And I, I just, I drift all the time from that. I just get into work mode and do mode, and I become a human, human doer, not a human being. You know, human being is different than a human doing, okay? God wants you to experience and, and walk in his love. And when we're walking in that love, then there's this overflow thing that happens naturally, and it blesses people, and it's the presence of God that people encounter. Like Heidi was explaining about how a lady, you know, came up and, and hugged her. Um, so that's the first reality, and we must maintain that all the time. We must keep in the love of God. But the second reality is that each of us needs to embrace and step out in faith to the reality that we are called to be a witness of this love. We are called to witness to the world that God loves them, and he's come to save them and deliver them and heal them and redeem them and give them hope. Okay, that's the church. That's people who are redeemed. We are filled with love, and the love's got to come out, and that's called being his witness. Don't be afraid. It's, it, it's not what you think it, it, it might be. To be his witness, when you are filled with this love, you can't help but witness of that love because he, it, it just it comes out of you, okay? But I want to talk about that a little bit. Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. When the power of God uh, invades our lives, when the Spirit of God is dwelling in us richly, we are his witnesses. It happens. You, we, we just become his witness. We are emboldened. We are impassioned or all those good words, okay? So our mission statement here at this church is we are building a a fellowship of believers who know God, experience God, have this relationship with God, and we are making him known. We are letting others experience God, encountering God, meeting God, knowing God, okay? We're not believers who know God and teach people how to know God. No, that's not, you know, we know God. God's speaking to us. God's moving upon us. He's, he's real. We have a relationship. And then we help other people have this relationship with God, experience God, experience this transforming love. Can I get an amen? That's who we are. That's what we do. And uh, where did we get this mission from? Did someone just make it up? Someone think, oh, that's a nice little saying? Uh, no. The whole Bible talks about this is the purpose of the church. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Israel, to Jesus, to you and to me, the mission has always been the same. God has picked a people to reveal himself to, to love, heal, restore, and redeem, to prop up as a light on a hill for everyone else to see and to be drawn not to them, but to him. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, da-da-da-da. You are the light of the world. Let others See, your light shining, your life beaming with the redemption of God in such a way, the love of God in such a way, that they see what you're doing, the good deeds that you're doing that are coming out of, I call them God deeds, not good deeds, God deeds, because God deeds produce life and fruit. Let them see your life and glorify your Father who's in heaven. This is a great adventure. Whatever you do, the Bible says, do it with all that you have, as unto the Lord, not unto men. And when we do it unto the Lord, it brings glory to him and it inspires people around us and we become his witnesses. We become his witnesses, especially for people like me and Bill. You know, just pick it on you, Bill. Because people look at you and me and say, if that guy's doing something good, it must be God, right? <laughs> just kidding. See, that's why I put you with me. I don't want to be alone. So that must be God. That, that kind of love or that passion or that joy or that, that must be God. There's something more than just a good person. There's the presence of God in our lives. And so um, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, feel free to get excited about this, okay? You are a chosen people. You remember middle school? Dodgeball teams? <laughs> you and then you know, who's last? You're chosen by God. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's who you are. He's called you out to bring you in. 
Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you, you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. And now God wants you to give him praise and glory and thanks for what he's done in your life. Because you were lost, now you're found. You were dead, now you're alive. You were in the darkness, now you're in the light. You were lied to and believed a lie. Now you know the truth, you know the way, you know the life, and God's called you to give him praise, give him thanks. So let's talk about how we can become witnesses of God in America, everyday life here in America. And I want to talk to you about, just real quick, back in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, man was walking with God. He was fellowshipping with God. He was hanging out with God. And they were talking, and they had this great relationship. And then sin entered the world, and what happened? That, that fellowship was severed. It was broken. We were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, right? And, and everything changed. But, and, and by the way, it was us. It was us. It wasn't God. It was us who left God, right? God didn't remove us, but that's because we went rogue. We went independent from God. We said, we want to be God. We want to know right and wrong. We want to decide our own, uh, our own truth. You see anybody doing that today? You ain't going to tell me, you know, there ain't nobody, God, nobody, no doctor's going to tell me what gender I am, right? I'm going to decide who I am. I'm going to decide what's right and wrong. I'm going to decide truth, and I want to be in charge. Does that sound familiar? Okay, that's Garden of Eden stuff. That's all that is. It's just sin. That's all it is. It's us thinking we don't need God and that we don't want to answer to God. We don't want him to call the shots. The problem with that is that God is right. And he created us. And all of his truth leads to life. That's the problem. The problem is when we don't choose life, we're choosing death. Do you see? And God loves us, so he says, here's the way. Here's the truth. Here's the life. Here's how you prosper. Here's how you are successful. And so God loves us. And even in our rebellion, in our sin, even in this moment today in our world, though people are flipping God off or thinking they don't need God, even now God is pursuing you. He's pursuing me. He's pursuing every person on this planet. He won't give up. He's not going to let our arrogance or our, our stupidity you know, deter him from love. His love never gives up. It's everlasting. God pursues us. And so even though we sin, God keeps pursuing us. And all of a sudden, we see throughout history, God starts to speak to people. Hey, Noah, build a boat. You know, the Bible says he just spoke to Noah. Hey, Abraham, leave your country. I'm going to do something awesome in your life. He starts to speak. And then all of a sudden, he appears in the form of angels. He talks to Abram and Sarah about they're going to have a child next year, a year from now. And God kind of took on a form of an angel. So we see God kind of inching closer. You see him? He's talking. Now he's kind of showing up a little bit. God starts filling people with the spirit from time to time in the Old Testament. And, and then Moses comes along. God shows up in a burning bush and starts talking to Moses. And then after the exodus from, from Egypt, God actually shows up. He meets Moses in a tent. And the Bible says he speaks to Moses face to face as like a man. God can't help himself. He wants to get close to you. He wants to get close to me and to us. He's just like, yeah, got to get closer, got to get closer. So he meets with Moses in a tent, gives him instructions. He says, I want you to build this tabernacle. Why? So that I can dwell among you. I want to be with you. God is pursuing us all the time. I want to dwell with you. I want to be with you. And so he gave instructions and all of the temple stuff, it's a whole bunch of rules and structures and all kinds of regulations and stuff. If you've ever read the Old Testament, you're probably like, what is this all about? Well, God was doing something so that we could get closer to him. Everything about the ta tabernacle and temple and all that stuff was for us to get closer to God. Because of our sin, if we just came into the presence of God, some people theorize we'd be vaporized. Because our sin would not be atoned for. And we'd be in the holiness of God. It's like one of those little bugs coming into that zapper. Gone. That's what some people think would happen. Okay, so God loves you. He doesn't want you to go like that. 
He wants to be with you. So he makes this, this possibility with blood, bloodshed. The Bible tells us without bloodshed, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so we have the sacrifices and, and all this stuff. And so that we have a, a tent, then it becomes a tabernacle, then it becomes a temple, okay? And then he just shows up, Jesus. Shows up. Shows up. Now, the problem with the temple, the tent, the temple, and the tabernacle, and all that was that it had all kinds of different uh, barriers to get to the presence of God. In fact, I mean, this would be, this is the most uh, politically incorrect, I cannot, I wouldn't, I can't imagine what this world would think about this today, because on the outside of the, of the uh, temple, there was a courtyard, it was called the courtyard of the Gentiles, and if you were not a Jew, that's as far as you could go. What? That's it. Can't go any farther. If you cross that line, um, then the penalty was death. And then the next step in was the courtyard of women. And that's as far as the women could go. And then the next step in was the courtyard of Israel or the men of Israel, the Jewish men. That's as far as they could go. And then the next step in was the courtyard of the priests. And that's where they could go. And then inside the temple, there was a holy place and the holy of holy places. And in the holy place, only the assigned priests at that particular time could go. And in the holy of holies, only the high priest on one day of each year could go. And so people wanted to get close to God. The Bible says you're a royal priesthood. You are a royal priesthood. In the New Testament, what does that mean? We don't have temples. We have this church building, but it's not a temple. Some women are sitting here. There you go. Gentiles, because I think all of us are Gentiles. Maybe there's a couple of Jews here. I don't know, but we're all here. We're all experiencing the presence of God. What does it mean? The priesthood's job was to help people get close to God. And now your job is to help people get close to God. Do you see that? And the, the Bible tells us that you are now, I am now, the temple of the Holy Spirit. So now the temple is not a building of stone. It is now this person, this body right here. And yet, I want to read a couple of key scriptures for you, and I'm skipping a lot of stuff because of time, but I, I want to read this verse to you. Exodus 25, verse 8 and 9. God's saying to Moses, have them make a sanctuary for me. Would you say, make a sanctuary? So God says, have them make a sanctuary for me. So take that personal. Take that personal. God wants you to make a sanctuary for him. Now, you're the building. God says, I want you, your building, you, make a sanctuary for me. Okay, and here's why. And I will dwell among them. God wants to dwell among you. He wants to dwell in you. But you have to be willing to make a sanctuary for God. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are now the one that's commissioned to make a place for God to dwell. You with me? Okay. And make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And so in Hebrews, we learn that all this Old Testament stuff is a shadow of something that's really happening in heaven. So it's real. So God actually did all this stuff specifically for a reason and on purpose. And we read that Moses did exactly what God told him to do. Moses was meeting with God on the mountain. And he didn't just give him the Ten Commandments. He gave them all of this Torah, and he gave them all the detailed instructions of how to build this tabernacle and Moses came down from the mountain, and he did exactly what God told him to do, okay? So when you look at your pictures in the Bible, and they're trying to recreate the diagrams of the temple and show you all that stuff, that came from God. It didn't come from Moses. It didn't come from people. It came from heaven. God said, this is how I want it. Exactly do it exactly like I, I want it. And it says Moses did exactly what God said. Now, we fast forward to the temple, and God had the same conversation with David. This is pretty awesome. So in 1 Chronicles 28, it says, uh, 
David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico, portico of the temple, its buildings, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, and the place of atonement. He gave him the plans, listen to this, of all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord. So where did David get the plans from? From the Spirit who gave him his mind, the, the, the thoughts of what needed to happen. So if this isn't enough, in verse 19, David is talking to his son, and he said this, All this, David said, I have in writing as a result of the Lord's hand upon me, and he enabled me to understand all the details of the plan. Isn't that fascinating? That would be so awesome to have God come upon you and just measurements, you know, sitting in drafting class and just, here's the blueprints, there you go. But more than that, the colors, the sizes, even the people and the structure of the worship and all that went on there, David had all the plans. You can read about it in First Chronicles, it's pretty interesting. There's divisions of priests, divisions of worship leaders, all kinds of, it was really, it's a really amazing thing. Now, the point I'm making here is that God is doing this on, a, on purpose, and there's something we can learn if we are to be the temple of the Holy Spirit now. We need to look at the, the pattern that God established, and we can see something from that, and that's my point of the next three weeks I want to share with you, okay? Because there's three keys to housing or allowing the presence of God to be strong in your life. And if you're going to be a witness in this world, it's not because you're a great person or you're working really hard or, you know, you're famous. It's because you are carrying the presence of God. Because we're not witnessing about, we are witnessing with the presence of God. Paul says it's not about the persuasive words of men that I came to you. It was with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith wouldn't rest on words of men, but on God. And so we're not witnessing with fancy doctrinal arguments or our scripture verses, or, you know, my opinion, or what I know, we are witnessing with the presence of God. We take the presence of God to this world. Paul says we're jars of clay, and we have this treasure on the inside. We may not look very impressive. We're not very impressive. But we got something inside of us that is a treasure. And when our jar tips over, it's the presence of God. That needs to come out. Come on. That's what changes lives. Not my intellect, not my charisma, not my effort, not my energy, not my ideas. The presence of God. Is there a presence of God in your life? Are you the temple of religion? Are you the temple of uh, education and spiritual disciplines? Are you the temple of the Holy Spirit? Are you the temple of the presence of God? Are you filled with the presence of God? That's what our world needs. Okay, do you see where I'm going with this? So God says, make me a sanctuary so I can dwell. How do we do that? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> okay? Um, so I, I, uh, I, I want to I show you three keys to the presence of God, and the first one is worship. Uh, and I'll give you all three of them. Worship. Surrender and anointing. Worship, surrender, and anointing. These are just things that I feel the Lord has put on my heart as I was studying this these last couple of weeks. Worship, surrender is the sacrifice. Uh, when you come into the temple of the Lord, there's worship. When you get past the worship, there's the sacrifice. But all the while, there's an anointing, and every one of us has an anointing, and we have a place to serve, and we have a gift to give, and there is, there is an anointing that God has on your life that is not for anybody else. And your anointing will allow you to let God do great things in people's lives. It's like your assignment. It's like your field. It's your area. You're anointed for it. And I can't do what you can do. And you can't do what I can do. And we're not supposed to. There's no competition. We all are included in this great adventure. We all have our special spot, our special zone. It's the anointing of God. It's the calling of God. Anyway, we'll get to that in a couple weeks. 
Let's talk about worship, okay? I don't know if you know this or not, but um, worship is a big deal in the, uh, in the temple, uh, in the big picture of the temple. And uh, it starts with 1 Chronicles chapter 16. David started a worship band. Yeah! Isn't that cool? 1 Chronicles, i got to find it here, chapter 16. They brought the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. After that, David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. He blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each Israelite man and woman. Verse 4. He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to make petition, to give thanks, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief, Zechariah second, and then Jael, Shemaramoth, and they were to play the lyres or the guitars and harps. Asaph was to sound the cymbals and probably drums, and Benaniah and Jehaziel, the priests, were to blow the trumpets regularly before the ark of the covenant of God. David was a worshiper. But God gave him not just the plans for the building, but the plans for the ministry of the temple grounds, everything. And David assigned people to worship the Lord. Check this out. Uh, 1 Chronicles 16, 37, it says uh, that they were to go before the ark of the Lord to minister there regularly according to each day's requirements. So every day there was worship going on at the temple. 1 Chronicles 16, 42 it says that they were stationed at the gate. So where's the gate? Where are the gates? The gates were the entry points to the court, yeah, the very first outside area. You walk through the gates. That was the very first thing that you would come to. Everybody had worship, Gentiles, women, everybody, okay? Everybody came through the gates to get to the temple of the Lord, and the worship team was on the front lines, at the doors, at the gates of the temple grounds, okay? In uh, 1 Chronicles 23, 5, it says 4,000 are to be gatekeepers and 4,000 are to praise the Lord with the musical instruments I have provided for that purpose. And so how about that kind of worship team? 4,000 people worshiping the Lord all day long during the sacrificial time from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., there was some worship going on at the temple. If you were from a distance coming towards the temple and you wanted to get to God, you heard worship, and you're getting closer, and it's, it's getting louder and louder, and you're, your first experience of getting close to God is worship, thanksgiving, and praise, and people shouting and playing and banging, and screaming, and singing, and some of them out of key probably, you know. Well, no, they're probably not out of key, because that, that was their job. That was their anointing. And did you know that? So in Psalm 100, when we read that this morning on the way in, and I said, enter his gates with thanksgiving, and enter his courts with praise, that's exactly what they did. It's not just, you know, some kind of a, you know, literary fun idea or something. That's exactly what they did when you came into the presence of God. And so, what does worship do? Um, did you know Psalm 22.3? I'm going to read two different translations for you. This one here says, but you are holy, you who inhabit the praises of Israel. Um, another verse says, Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Do you realize this verse is saying that when we are praising God, that the presence of God arrives and hovers and comes? When you praise, when you worship, when you give thanksgiving, the presence of God comes. God says, if you want to get close to me, praise and worship. Start with praise and worship. Why do the churches today, this is amazing, this is like thousands of years later, we show up on a Sunday, almost any church you go to, and what do they have? 
They have praise and worship. Okay? But again, the temple is not a building. The temple is now you. So I'm not talking about today's service. Now I'm talking about you. You want the presence of God strong in your life. You need to have worship at your gates. You need to be a worshiper. You need to give thanks and praise to God. Uh, what does worship do? I think worship is a humble recognition and it's submission to God as God, you're God, and I'm not. That's the first thing that I think of. When I worship, I'm saying, you're God. You're bigger. I'm not in control. You are. I'm, I'm submitting to you. I'm recognizing your authority in my life and in this world. But I'm also lifting my attention to him. When I worship, I'm getting my attention off of uh, the lawn, the grocery list, the bills, my, my agenda tomorrow, my problem. I'm getting my attention off of that stuff, and I'm lifting my attention to God. I'm focusing my heart, my mind on God. And what happens is when we start to do that, God gets bigger. That's what the word magnify means. And when we say, Lord, I magnify you, that's what we're doing. We're making God bigger. And what gets smaller? Our problems. Us. What gets bigger? Peace. What gets smaller? Uh, unpeace. <laughs> Whatever that is. Stress, worry, fears. Faith gets bigger. Fear gets smaller. Right? Do you see what happens? The presence of God comes. God begins to move. And God does what only God can do. Praise. Thanksgiving. We set our focus on him. We prioritize him. Uh, we shift our dependence from self to our Savior, right? We focus, uh, we change our focus from earth to eternity. And, and great things begin to happen. Now, you don't have to wait till next Sunday before you worship God. You're the temple. This building's not the temple. You don't have to get to this building to experience the presence of God. You don't even have to leave the presence of God. You're the temple, and God wants to dwell in you. But you've got to be a worshiper. I'm not trying to say, you've got to do this. I'm saying, that's how you get the presence of God, is worship and thanksgiving. I wish I had some more time. Well, you guys are used, used to Mike Benson, right? So we've got another hour. <laughs> um, so here's the big takeaway, though. If I am the temple of the Holy Spirit, then daily, daily worship, in fact, a lifestyle of worship, needs to be a part of who I am, and I'm not just saying singing songs. I don't sing songs all day long, but there is an attitude of worship that you and I can have all day long, recognizing God, giving thanks to God. And I'll tell you the, the, the most holy, and I'm not saying this in a religious tone at all, the most holy, impressive men or women of God that I have ever met, whenever I'm around them, even when I'm around them, they're whispering conversations of praise to God. And at first I'm like, that's kind of rude, Pastor Thampy, you know. I'm like, I'm sitting right next to you and you're talking to God the whole time. But he can't help it. He's always conversing with God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And they'll be talking with me and thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. I'm like, hey, can you, can I have some attention over here, you know? But he's always connect. The, the most godly people I've ever met, they always are communing with God. It's a spirit of worship. And, and God's just there with them all the time. And uh, I, I'm really challenged by that, and I want to challenge you to consider that. And um, it's, that's the difference. When we are connected to God and we're worshiping God and we have a worshipful attitude throughout our day, we're not consumed with our agenda, we're not preoccupied with ourselves. Our attention is on him. He's the priority. You, you with me so, still? And, and, and faith is bigger. Peace is bigger. Problems are smaller. Fear is smaller. Okay, we're, we're, in this, we're in this kind of relationship and we're in this kind of awareness even throughout the day, even while we're shopping, even while we're in school, even when we're working, even when we're solving problems, there's still an awareness of God. There's still thanksgiving going on, sometimes out loud, most of the time inside. But there's this thing happening. What happens is there is a more likelihood 
that the presence of God is with you. And whatever you are now doing is touched by the presence of God. And the people around you actually know there's something going on, but they don't know what it is. And it's God. And it's his love and his presence. And uh, it's beautiful. And it's amazing. And you're aware spiritually of what's happening. And you are a witness for God because you are alive in him and you're available for him to whisper to you anything and whatever at any time to be his hands and his feet, to be a hug to somebody or to be a voice or to have a prayer or to actually speak. And you are the presence of God on the earth everywhere you go. Now, this is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. Why? Because the church is the container of the presence of God. Listen, this week, amazing things can happen through this church without having another service. if you let the presence of God just dwell in you richly. So I'll close with a short story, um, even though I wish I could share some other things, but Jesus is really cool. <laughs> um, when he was around, I, when I was younger, I felt pressure to be a witness. I, was, I really felt like everybody I meet, you know, at a point in my life, it was like my job to save them. <laughs> and if I finished whatever I was doing with them and they weren't saved, I mean, I felt like I, I, I blew it. I blew it from God, you know. But I look at Jesus, and G how did Jesus witness of himself? Did he have all these religious answers for people? Was he quoting Scripture all the time? Uh, yeah, yeah, he quoted Scripture. Yes, he had answers. But he wasn't doing it out of a religious obligation. He was just real with people. And uh, I love that about Jesus. I remember the, the story of the rich young ruler, or the rich young man, not ruler, young man. He came to Jesus. He said, hey, great teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he's asking Jesus a real question, and Jesus actually answered his question. Well, you need to follow the commands. Um, and, and he says, well, what commands? So Jesus is like, well, you know, da 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 Gave the commands, and the man said, oh, I've done all of that. Is there anything more? And then in Mark chapter 10, it says this. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, you hear what I'm saying? Jesus is being real with this young man. And he's letting this young man expose his real cry of his heart. Jesus isn't trying to shove something down his throat, but he's just being real, having a real conversation. The young man is, is really reaching out for some truth. And the Bible says he looked at him, he loved him, and then he actually delivered some pretty tough truth. He says, sell all that you got, give it to the poor, and follow me. And the young man left, sad. And Jesus said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to give you some more scriptures. Hold on a minute, I got to convince you. He let him go. We don't know the rest of the story either, by the way. We don't know the rest of the story, but we do see Jesus being real, being loving, being truthful, right? But not being overbearing and religious about conversion. Do you see what I'm saying? If we just let God rule and reign in us, he will lead us, and if people encounter his presence, they will come back. They'll come back to his presence, so on the, on the plane trip home from Peru, it was like a, I don't know, maybe a 24-hour total thing. On the, we had three planes on the way back. I didn't get a chance. I don't know if I shared this with you guys or not. But on the last plane, you know, at the end of the week, we're all pretty, pretty shot. We want to get home. I didn't sleep the night that night because we, we flew all night. So I'm tired. I sit down, and, but I had the joy of the Lord in my heart. And I, I feel like I had supernatural, uh, physical anointing on me for the trip because when I got home, I crashed. It was over. I was done. But while I was on the trip, God gave me everything I needed, energy and excitement and all that stuff. So I'm on the plane. I sit down to this very lovely lady next to this lovely lady. She was older than me. And uh, she's, we just started talking. 
And it was, I, was, I just enjoyed it so much because uh, I was delivered from religion. I had no other agenda. Just came from a mission trip, you know. All we did for two weeks was preach the gospel. But it became just normal to me and, and enjoyable to me. And so I'm just naturally just answering your questions, just feeling the love of God, the presence of God, the peace of God. And we had a beautiful conversation. And it led to uh, some really great moments, I think, in, in our talk together. And I was able to share with her about the difference between religion and relationship. And I just felt the presence of God right there in the plane. And, uh, and I, I really felt like she was very blessed. And uh, I helped her along in her, in her journey with God. Uh, and it was awesome. It was better than anything I could have done on my own, pressing, striving, or pushing. And it was just great how the presence of God was there, and the presence of God was just, was just there. made all the difference in the world. So we get off of the uh, airplane, and we're getting our bags, and we're leaving. And all of a sudden, her husband, who was sitting in the seat behind her, was not a part of the conversation, just came up to me real quick. He says, I just want to thank you for talking to my wife. She just, she just shared a little bit of what you guys talked about, and I just, it really helped, it really impacted her, and I just want to shake your hand and thank you. Isn't that cool? And uh, that was a great blessing to me, just seeing how if we are just full of the love of God, we're just, and I did a series on this a couple years ago called Naturally Supernatural. If we're just naturally supernatural, we're filled with God, God will do amazing things in us and through us. We're going to finish our service by singing. Um, can we sing that song again, the newer one? The time for a move. I want to invite you to invite God to move through your life this week. We are the church. This is the greatest adventure you could ever dream up. It's just letting God fill your life in such a way that there is an overflow, the presence of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God is what this world needs, and it's what you need. But fill your life with praise and thanksgiving. That's, that's a key to having the presence of God dwelling in us richly. Be a thankful, praising, grateful believer. Be humble before God. Be recognizing Him. Be just worshiping Him throughout your day you will be filled, and then God will lead and guide, and he will bless people through you. Let's believe for a great move this week. As we leave this building this morning, the presence of God goes with us, and anything is possible. We saw miracles in Peru, and I heard there were miracles here. What's really cool about the Spirit of God dwelling in us, that's better than the temple, and better than even Jesus being on planet earth, is that there were some serious limitations. There was one temple in one place, and actually only one person could get to God one day a year. Okay? Then Jesus shows up. Now God's in one place at one time, and a few thousands of people could get to him, and maybe half a dozen people could be touching him at one time. But then the Spirit of God was poured out upon all of us, and now there are no limitations, whether you're in Peru or Africa or Montrose or Clio or Bertrand or St. Charles or Chesney or wherever you're from. At the same time, the full throttle of the kingdom of God's power is accessible to every single believing, humble, available believer at any moment around the clock, around the globe. Miracles are happening here and in South America and in Africa, all at the same time, because the presence of God is in people. Do you see what I'm saying? And so let's go out and let's believe God for a move in our life, a natural, supernatural move of God among us. And if you need prayer for anything during this song, please come forward. I'd love to pray with you. If you need to experience the love of God and you're ready to give your life to, to Jesus Christ, please come find me. I want to pray with you and lead you in that so you can be experiencing and knowing God for real, for real.
But let's stand together. Let's all give our hearts to the Lord this morning during this song before we leave. And let's say, God, move. Move upon me and move through me. Thank you, Lord. God, we just come to you this morning before we leave and we make this declaration, Lord, that I want to be that sanctuary. We want to be that sanctuary where you can dwell. Wow, what an amazing experience and life that you have called us to live, to be the temple of the presence of God. And not, Lord, you don't have to convince me or any of us that we're just jars of clay. We know that full well. We know we have cracks. We know we have mistakes. We have some scars. We have some bad thoughts and bad ideas and some bad behavior. But Lord, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us and purifies us from all sin. Lord, remove the insanity from our lives. Break the chains of lies, addictions, pain that we have in our lives that we can be more and more free and uh, the jars that we are, they would contain more and more of you. When we're cracked and we start to leak, let the presence of God, Lord, come out. When we're poured out, let it be pouring out love and mercy and joy, not pain and sarcasm and anger or bitterness or hurt, but Lord, fill us with your presence. We want to empty ourselves this morning of sin, of pain, of anger, of disappointment, of darkness. We want to be filled with your light and your love and your rivers of living water. Thank you, Lord. So move upon us, God, even in this morning as we sing the song, I pray you just move. Do something special in our hearts, God. Solidify this word in us that we walk out of this place just ready to be a sanctuary, Let, letting your presence contain, just be contained within us and overflowing through us. Lord, let, us, let the church be alive. Let this Lamb of God Fellowship family be full, be full, overflowing with your presence. Lord, as we leave, just right now fill us and do something in us, Lord, that we need done so we can be who you've called us to be, just filled with life and hope and joy and the message, the message of love. Lord, we are yours. We give ourselves to you today in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's worship him. And if you need prayer, please come right now. I'd like to pray with you.